As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. This is Arthur Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. been a while since we've connected with you. Uh, A few important things have happened with the Islanders, and we have a very important person on to help break it down, MSG and NBC analyst A.J. Maletsko. What's up, A.J.? Hey, Arthur. Nothing much. Actually, nothing uh, is up, (laughs) and I'm hoping that something's coming up Soon in the next couple months, we get this, these players back on the ice so we have something to talk about and watch and be entertained by. Yeah, yeah, we could all use a little hockey. I think uh, you and I have talked uh, at least a couple times over this offseason. We have a bunch of kids between us that are doing various stages of remote schooling, so hockey would be really nice to talk about as opposed to <laughs> whatever school subject we're having to parachute in on. So I'm, I'm sure Absolutely. you feel the same and I actually way. have my nine-year-old over my shoulder on his Zoom right now, so we may <laughs> be having competing, competing Zooms in the kitchen right now. <laughs> well, we're going to talk hockey and we're going to talk Islanders. Um, Recently, we did hear some pretty big news from Johnny Boychuk and the, and the team. Boychuk uh, announcing that he's no longer able to play due to the eye injury he suffered back uh, during the regular season at the end of February, I believe. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was an emotional uh, call that he was on. You were on it, I know. And, and he choked up a lot and, and talked about what it meant for him to be an Islander and what I think he meant to a lot of his teammates. And you've been around the team long enough to see his impact. What uh, what did you make of all that, and what do you think? Uh, what do you think of kind of his legacy uh, with the team in the NHL? Well, you, uh, you said it. It was emotional. It, it didn't surprise me how emotional it was from what I've I've gotten to know of Johnny Boychuk, and it's why he it has become a fan favorite on the island, um, and it's why he was a fan favorite in Boston, which is where I live. So certainly, I've seen him even before he was an Islander and, and winning the cup here in Boston. Um, he's, you know, I think that it was the hard part about it is, is the initial announcement came out and people thought he was retiring or or not retiring, but just, you know, he had this injury and it was maybe a choice he was making. And he was asked that question. He said this, it really wasn't a choice. It was, I can't play. And and he cited that uh, game one against the Panthers in the play-in round in the uh, return to play in August, where he got hit by um, Matheson said, I should have seen it coming. I absolutely should have seen it coming. And that's when I realized my peripheral vision uh, wasn't up to snuff and and it's a lifestyle decision. It's great that he's going to stay 
a part of the team in some capacity. I don't believe it's been announced how he is going to stay a part of it. But I mean, you and I both know from the media perspective, he is so good with us. And he's somebody I gravitate towards when we go into the locker room, just because he's so easygoing. He's so fun. He's got a great sense of humor. He's got a little mischievousness to him. And, you know, when I'm in between the benches during games, he's always, you know, at one point he wasn't playing, didn't think he was playing very well. And he came over and handed me a stick and he said, this isn't a good one. You can have it. And he went and got one of his extra sticks. So he's always, always doing something to make it, keep us on our toes and make us laugh. Yeah. You know, and I, and I imagine, um, as someone who's played at a very high level, when you have a guy like that or a person like that in your room who is able to keep everybody loose, but in a, in a way that, uh, you know, he, he's able to back it up with the way that he plays, uh, it must be invaluable when you're, if you're a Matthew Barzal or an Anthony Beauvillier and maybe things, you're gripping your stick a little too tight through a stretch and you see this guy who's been around for 700 games and a few hundred more in the AHL winking at you or cracking a joke, it must make a huge difference in a room. Oh, it's, it's invaluable. And, you know, when you hear of people describe players as a locker room guy or, a, you know, a team guy or somebody they like to have on a bench, I mean, Johnny Boychuk certainly is the epitome of that. And I've said it countless times in my broadcast on MSG, so uh, fans may be sick of hearing me say it, but my favorite Johnny Boychuk quote came from Barry Trotz when he smiled at me and he said, well, man, he gets it done ugly, doesn't he? But he gets it done. And that's exactly what you need. He's blocking shots. He's, you know, taking a skate to the face. And that was the ultimate uh, career-ending injury they had. But even when he came back to play after a month and a half off towards the end of the Tampa Bay series, the, all the, they got his full skate blade knocked off, but he's got good humor throughout it. And, and, you know, you can see the way he is in the locker room with Noah Dobson, one of the rookies on the team, taking him under his wing. And really, those mentors at, at this level, at this league, Somebody like Boychuk, who's been around, who understands the lifestyle, he understands the pressures, he understands uh, like just from the fans, from the administration, from his teammates, from the coaches, all the way down, and he can do it with a smile on his face. So for some to have somebody like him around, the younger players, uh, for them to emulate is is something you can't. It's one of those intangibles that makes a team. So you know, good for the Islanders to be able to keep him on and keep him around the team. Again, I'll be very curious to see technically what his role, what his title is, but it may just be locker room guy, Johnny Boychuk, <laughs> locker room guy. You know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, Franz Nielsen, former Islander, current Detroit Red Wing, um, for uh, for a story, and uh, he mentioned. You know, he asked me about about what happened with Johnny and. And brought up unsolicited when the day that that the Islanders got Boychuk and Nick Letty the same day on uh, in October before right before the start of the fourteen fifteen season, what an impact that Johnny had on those guys guys that you think of as established NHLers Franz Nielsen Kyle Pozo John Tavares, Johnny was the voice doing exactly what you mentioned for those guys who had already been in the league six you know some of them six seven years. And Franz said how important it was to those two successful seasons they had in 14-15 and 15-16 to have a guy who could break the tension, could tell these guys that he was a new teammate of, said, you guys are good. You have to start believing in yourselves. And, and he said it made a huge difference. And that, to me, to, you know, to know that he did that from day one to day last when he was you know, not playing very much in the bubble, probably very frustrated until he got into those last few games, um, you know, I think... Uh, we all got a little choked up at the end when he said he just wants to be remembered as the guy who was, a, you know, hard to play against on the ice and a good person off the ice. And I don't think he has to worry about that too much. He certainly doesn't. And, and you know, I think that that's you're right. I mean, I, I mentioned rookies like Noah Dobson and what he was able to offer them. But there's no question that when you have a leader like Johnny Boychuk, the, the guys that are older than him or established veterans, 
that you can always learn uh, from players, from your teammates. And I think that's something I remember from my playing days, no matter where you are on the pecking order in terms of veteran rookie or somewhere in between, you're always looking to figure it out, right? It's an, it's a an constantly evolving process. So for these guys, especially as you get traded and you're trying to sort of, you're trying to figure out, you know, maybe they start off as these young single guys, either just out of college or they didn't go to college. And then they settle down. Maybe, you know, some of them get married, have kids, the, you know, these, all these different stages along the way in the life of a professional hockey player, a professional athlete is they're hard to navigate. And so to have somebody like Johnny Boychuk who does it with, with a smile and he does it, um, he, he's the type of guy and, and I've actually never asked him this, but he seems like the type of guy that appreciates it. And, and he, nothing was given to him easily, right? There's some of these guys in the league that are just, they're just God given talents, right? They've been good at every level they've played and they're used to being good. And I'm not saying they don't work hard, but it has come more easily. And Johnny Boychuk works and he, he leaves everything on the ice. He leaves his heart and soul with his team. And that's something that you can't, you can't really teach that. And so that's such a positive influence on everybody, no matter what age. And honestly, even on the organization and, and probably even on you and I, Arthur, just the way he goes about his job. Yeah, yeah, he'll uh, he'll be missed on a daily basis by everybody, I think. Um, the Islanders also did make another fairly big move that, of the few moves that that have been announced. They've you know they brought back Ryan Pollock on a two year deal, one of the restricted free agents. They also traded another of their pending restricted free agents back uh, before the, uh, anyone was signed, and that's Devon Taves, who they sent to the Avalanche for two second round picks. Um, were you surprised by that move? And I, and I, in hearing from Lou after that move was made. He was pretty, you know, regretful. It's it's just sort of circumstances that dictated it. You don't normally see a team move uh, a third year guy who's, uh, you know, been their leader in points among defensemen for the last two postseasons uh, and an, kind of an emerging good player the way Taves has been. Uh, you don't really see them that make the first move to make uh, uh, to get under the salary cap. So what did you make of that that trade? In- when I first heard about it, I was surprised by it. And then, as you mentioned, when you hear Lou talk about it or you start reading, you looking th- look uh, start looking through all the different factors that weigh into these decisions, you sort of understand it a little bit more. And uh, it's why I have no aspirations to ever be a GM or any, <laughs> any of those decision makers because you have to make these hard decisions. And, um, you know, Devontae, he burst onto the scene, not last season, but the season before, and was one of my favorites. I love to watch him skate. He's got an effortless style, the way he moves the puck through the neutral zone. Uh, he also is one of those guys that I remember when he first got called up and it was due to injuries that he got this shot and uh, he was packing his bag because he only had one set of gear and all these guys have two sets, right? They've got one set at the Northwell Health Ice Center where they practice and another set game, you know, game gear. And uh, he and and if, if they have stuff that they use in both, they have somebody packing it up for him. And you have Devontae sitting in the locker room packing up his gear because he had just come from Bridgeport and he had a big smile on his face. So he seemed to really appreciate being there. And um, I, and I may be wrong, but I think his first game was maybe in Dallas. And he just he he wowed everybody the way that he his poise and the way he went about um, the jump up from Bridgeport to uh, to the Islanders. And you know, I think that he is the kind of player that is going to have a long-term success. He's built slowly. He had a great career at Quinnipiac, and then he was brought along in the AHL, and he wasn't ever sort of put above uh, where he belonged. It was a slow uh, evolution into this role, and I think that in some ways that's that's good for longevity. Um, so, but you also look at the embarrassment of riches that uh, that 
Lou has that Barry has on the blue line. And we saw it a little bit in the playoffs when you, when you, when you start scratching people like Andy Green or Johnny Boychuk, who are these veterans who have been around and he had to make these hard decisions. I think that having somebody like Noah Dobson, who got more playing time this year due to the injuries on the blue line, um, Lou feels much more comfortable dealing somebody like Devon Taves, who has that offensive uh, instinct. And he knows that Dobson maybe is the next one to sort of fill in. He knows he's going to carry some of the, some of that weight um, that Devon Taves carried. You know, I think part of the, part of his regret, and that's probably not the right word because he knew we had to do it, but part of his um, dismay over seeing him go is he's a really good guy and lose big on, on having the right kind of people in his, in his room and on his team. And the, the, Team chemistry is really important to him, and Taves is a, is a great guy. So, you know, I, I think everybody wishes him well. He was he became a favorite too among the fans just with his smile and his his work ethic and his just put his head down and get the job done. So, uh, wish him well in Colorado. But it, you know, it's definitely uh, that's that's an opening for Noah Dobson. It'll be interesting to see how he steps up to the challenge. Vic Torinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we've talked about a couple of the moves that the Islanders have made, and uh, and really uh, there seems to be a couple other moves um, to come that haven't quite been announced yet. I think uh, some of the insiders around the league and uh, at our at our place at the Athletic, Corey Schneider seems to have a deal. Um, he would be one of the only new guys that they're bringing in. Matt Martin seems to have a deal to come back. Andy Green seems to have a deal to come back. I think the reason. Uh, that these deals haven't been announced is more to do with salary cap implications because uh, if they put the if they file these contracts, maybe reduces their cap space. Someone might swoop in and try to offer sheet Matthew Barzal at the very last minute. Seems unlikely, but I doubt Lou is going to leave any anything to chance. He's certainly not that kind of guy, and he hasn't been that kind of executive for his four decades in the league. Um, but given those possibilities of returning, and even Derek Broussard, who I've heard uh, has interest in returning, and I think there's interest in having him back. Uh, so you you swap out Taves. Thomas Grice is gone. Ilya Sorokin is in. As you said, you swap out Taves for for Noah Dobson, and you don't see Johnny Boychuk. But it essentially looks like the same, the bulk of the same group that that got uh, as far as they did. Do you feel like when this team is at full health, AJ, that they can? they can be as good as they looked uh, for a lot of that time in August and September. Uh, you know, I do. And I think that they, that this is sort of quintessential Lou Lamorello, the way that he's built this team when he took over two years ago, you know, everyone expected these big slashes and there really weren't, um, there weren't these, these, you know, boat rocking uh, trades. And then you, you know, you brought in Pajot, which, ended up being an incredibly important piece to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. But at the time it was sort of like, okay, so that's the, 
trade deadline acquisition. It didn't seem um, necessarily as big as people were expecting from him. And then Pajot came in and, and, and did sort of take the Islanders world by storm. Um, and so, you know, I think that you take the pieces that he has and quite frankly, you have Barry Trotz at the helm and you see what he did. I mean, this past, this summer in August and September, you hear some of these players reminisce and we're only a couple months out, but they talk about it as a magical season. And, and very few people are talking about anything in 2020 is magical. <laughs> let's be honest. Very 2020 has been rough in many senses of the word. So, uh, you know, you, you, in the bubble, right. You talk to some of these players about how awful bubble living was and, and you start to hear some of the stories. Um, but some of these Islanders players really do look back and, and, you know, making it to the Eastern conference final throughout and, and even being there and covering it. And you and I were watching this team up close, being able to see it. A lot of people sort of in the hockey world, but not in the Islanders world were reaching out to me and saying, are they for real? Or do you think they really can knock off these teams? And uh, yeah, I do. I mean, watch the way they play and, and people will say, Oh, well, the Islanders play such boring hockey. And, yeah, they don't necessarily um, light the world on fire offensively, but they actually previously. But then you go into these playoffs and they're winning. They're putting up five goals against Florida. They're putting up, you know, they're they're starting to score goals. They're starting to do things. And frankly, winning is never boring. So um, I think that that was really fun for the um, Isles faithful to see what they had to offer and moving forward. You know, it's tough to see somebody like Thomas Price go. I know that um, Varlamov was fantastic and really was um, the starter, but Grice is such a good role player. He's such a good partner. We saw it with Robin Leonard two seasons ago. Um, so, you know, see if um, Varlamov and Sorokin and, you know, you mentioned Corey Snyder, you see how that, the balance in the net, that's so important right now in the league. And so many more coaches are going to more of a, you know, maybe 50, 30 or 45, you know, whatever the split is a little closer to half and half, as opposed to the, you know, 70 games uh, for the starter. Um, it's just so much, such a huge workload. Um, and then, you know, you look at their lineup and the fact that they've been able to solidify the center up and down the, the, the four lines, you know, Matt Martin's going to be a big piece. He's such a, again, a locker room guy. I think a lot of that's going to be interesting to see what Lou loves him and, and, you know, you've got to move up to Toronto and then he came back down. So he's one of those locker room guys and, and really does uh, put the puzzle pieces together for that fourth line too. So I have faith in this, in what Lou and Barry are putting together and what and you can see now in the pieces starts unfold. It's so typical Lou that, that we have no idea what's going on with these. You, we can speculate, but you're right. There are all different reasons. He's a, he's a veteran. He's been around. He's wily. He doesn't want to show his hand, but it is, it can be really frustrating, but you just gotta, you know, put your hands up and say, he'll tell us when he's ready. Exactly. Frustrating is a good word to describe that uh, off season <laughs> feeling. Was there, were there any, was there any one player, maybe a couple players throughout the playoffs that, that you felt took their game to a level that, that made you more confident in their role in the team? Um, you know, I was, it was interesting when you, you talk about some of these players. Um, I thought that, you know, we were just talking about Devon Taves and I actually thought through this past season, he was quieter than I would have liked to see him, but I thought during the playoffs, he was very steady and solid. Um, I thought that Derek Broussard has had flashes, same thing through the season. He moved around wing center, wasn't quite sure where he was going to be. He was brought in as a center. And then you had Pajot come in. I thought he had a couple really good games and then he would go a little bit quieter and it just depended. And, and honestly, back to the question you just asked me, that's why this team is so good on any given day. Somebody big is going to step up. Right. And I thought at the beginning of the playoffs, Josh Bailey was sort of quiet. And then he, he started to turn on and you could see the excitement and the fire and all those things I, you know, in terms of solidifying their place, you look at, um, 
like Andy Green to me, I, I'm going to be curious what, um, how that plays out in terms of contracts. Like, cause I, I thought he was, especially with the departure of Boychuk, he becomes more important yeah. in terms of a, a veteran defenseman. And I thought, and I was very impressed with him in terms of his decision-making, um, how he fit into the Isles mentality too. Again, you go back to the way Lou builds a team and I thought Andy Green fit in really well. Um, you know, I think that um, trying to, it, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like an eternity ago, <laughs> yes. August, um, even though my days are, I'm not doing a whole lot right now, but, uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that it was, it was a, it, it was impressive to me that it was truly a team effort. And in our post-game shows on MSG, we were always talking about somebody different. And that's what was, that was, was really fun about following this team. Yeah. And I kind of feel like um, I just wrapped a, a, Q&A with, with a bunch of readers who were asking a lot of similar questions about like, hey, could, you know, now that Boychuk could be put on LTIR, could we get Mike Hoffman? Could we get Anthony Duclair? And I kind of feel like um, not that they would necessarily have changed much about this offseason, uh, Lou and Barry, pandemic or no, shortened season next season or no, but the fact that it is going to be uh, a probably less than 60 game season and another oddball season, maybe no fans, maybe some fans later on, maybe fans for the playoffs, maybe a bubble, maybe not a bubble. You're going to have to hit the ground running uh, from training camp on. And that was, to me, the most essential part of the playoff run was that they had their group. There was no, hey, maybe this young guy will get a spot. It's like, nope, we've got our, we've got our 14 up front. We've got our guys on D. We've got our goalies. We're going to just reinforce what we've been doing. Um, or did at the beginning of the season when they had their 17-game unbeaten streak. Um, and it really worked for them. And I think that's the same mentality that they're going to bring to whatever kind of wacky season we're going to get starting in 2021. Yeah, and I think that that, you know, another way that I look at that is expectations and communication from the administration, from the coaching staff uh, to the players, right? There's no game playing. There's This is what we expect of you. If you do this, if you perform in this fashion, you will have a spot, right? It's not it, it, any question marks and what we're going to do. This is ideally what we want to look at, but you know what? If, it's also a business at the end of the day. If you're not doing what we expect of you, then we do have other people to play here, but this is, we want you in, right? And um, and I think that that's where, you know, somebody that, as somebody that did impress me in summer was Anthony Bavillier. I thought mm -hmm. he came out of the gates flying. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with, he had a lot of, um, he was trying to be, according to Barry Trotz, he was trying to be somebody that he wasn't before. He was trying to uh, fit into this mold of what he thought he should look like as an NHL player. And Barry Trotz through the season had gotten him to sort of relax and go out and play to his strengths. And he was able to do that. And just that confidence and that communication allowed him to go out and start putting up some numbers, which is what he was, he was, had been trying to do before. But I, I like the way that he played in the, and I really like the way that he's reacting um, to the coaching staff and to the way that Barry's handling him. So, I agree. You're coming into this, you know, hopefully training camp in the next couple of weeks, if we're really looking at a, I mean, I, I have to believe January 1st start is impossible, but if we're yeah. looking at mid to late January, maybe a February 1st start, that means training camps will start soon. I, ha I haven't talked to anybody on the team. I have to believe that they're skating and on their own, maybe together, you know, so they're getting ready, getting going. And, and you're right. Once they know that this is the start date, they can hit the ground running. They can go in. This isn't a typical training camp where you go in and you've got this huge roster. I mean, I remember last year, uh, Butch was gone. So I called one of the preseason games with Brendan and it's, you know, those preseason games I've rarely watched because it's, these are people you're never going to see through the season, right? <laughs> you dress all these people and that's not the way this preseason, in my opinion, is going to look right They yeah. They've got to get going and this is our roster and this is what we want. And this is our power play. And, uh, and let's, let's get a, let's get a move on. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so we've talked about what the Islanders did this offseason, what they did last season, what they might do next season. <laughs> we've got AJ here, uh, U.S. Olympian, College Hockey Player of the Year, uh, an accomplished athlete and an accomplished broadcaster. I'm curious to know um, how weird it was for you in the return to play to be in the studio uh, in the city at MSG with Shannon Hogan and Butch and Brendan and then be on whatever kind of set you had up here in Stamford, where I live, at NBC Sports for the rest of the playoffs. Um, how did you juggle all that and how did it feel to kind of not be hanging your head over the boards between the benches like you usually are? Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely different. Um, you know, it's interesting though because as everybody, we came to that just screeching halt on March 12th, I believe, and I had been going a million miles an hour and getting ready to go even faster going into the playoffs in a month, right? And the playoffs are a really busy time for all of us, mm-hmm. uh, both with my, for me with my duties with MSG and NBC. And of course, I sat at home doing nothing. So, I, <laughs> and I was so eager and anxious to get back to work and. Um, and leave my homeschooling duties with my four kids. But then, of course, I get the call from that the league's coming back, this return to play right in the middle of the summer when we're feeling like, you know, I could be outside and do some things. So it was a, <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit of a, um, um, I don't know, it was just, it was a little bit of a, a off balance. That's, I felt off balance. And then, so, I, you know, I ended up going on, I think, July 28th down, did the preseason or that, you know, what they call it, an exhibition game, the Islanders Rangers. And then was, I was staying in Stanford, calling games out of the Stanford studio and, and what that looked like. So I was an, I'm an analyst there. And what that looked like, is I'd be in a small booth with a small monitor and the producer would be down the hall. And either my play-by-play, if it was Brendan Burke, would be in a booth next to me. We could see each other through a plexiglass. Or if I was working with Kenny Albert, he was actually in Edmonton and Pierre was down between the bench or next to the bench. So those were the most difficult because we had three of us none of us next to each other. So normally, of course, you've got somebody between the benches, somebody up top, and then somebody, if you have a three-person booth, usually at least two of the three are next to each other and can have right. eye contact or body contact or some sort of nonverbal signals. So, you know, there was definitely a little bit of stepping on toes, and which is an awful feeling when you're broadcasting, especially with, with great people like that. You don't want to do that. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, and so that was an interesting experience. And then I would go to uh, a drive into Manhattan go to the MSG studios and do the pregame with Shannon on set. And then in the, before, in the first round, we'd go and watch the game and listen to Brendan and Butch in this little room and kick off our shoes and have dinner and be able to sort of watch the game. But it was, it was a strange feeling for me because when I'm in between the benches, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of hopped up, right. I, I'm yeah. watching, I have to watch every second. So I don't have, you know, have a puck hit me in the face. And it's so easy to get into the momentum and get into the energy of the game. And when you're lying on a couch, I feel like I'm, a, I'm just a fan. I'm not working. And so, um, and, and Chan and I are both very superstitious. So if we were sitting somewhere and, you know, we would have to switch seats and, you know, all this stuff, it was very funny. Um, but I, so to answer your question, I, it, it was difficult, but I was so appreciative of the fact that the league and the NHLPA were able to 
put this product on the ice for all of us working and all of us fans to watch that I, it's, I don't want to say too much that it was difficult because it was just a great thing to have in that time, in this time of the world, to be able to have that, that break from reality and be able to watch hockey, which we all love. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that I don't much prefer being in person and, and being able to feel the energy and, you know, and being between the benches, I can see what the players are saying and, and, you know, see their, feel their energy and, and really be a part of it. So, um, you know, I, I do imagine that if we have a season coming up that the broadcasters will not be on site. I don't know that for a fact, but um, maybe for home games, the MSG crew can be at the Coliseum and for away games would be, in, I don't know. I, and I just, I think in the world we're living in, depending on what happens with the vaccine and how, how all the travel works, I guess we have to get used to the idea of calling it off monitors and, and generating and manufacturing our own energy. Yeah. Uh, being adaptable, I think, is the key phrase to being a, a sports media person or a, a fan or an athlete these days. Um, I, I am curious because I found this, I struggled with this a lot after the, the three or four month break. How was your, how, how did you attack your research to just kind of remember <laughs> what had gone on during the season? I, I remember trying to vote for awards uh, before the restart. And I was like, I don't remember what anybody did this season. Like I was, I was like, oh, right. John Gabriel Pazzo is an Islander now. I almost forgot that. Was it that kind of experience? It, absolutely. And you know what's, uh, what's horrifying is that I had filled out mo like three quarters of my votes and I I didn't get it in in time. So I'm one of the, I think there were like two or three of us that were didn't get our votes in. And it's so embarrassing when I see my name there because I'm like, I actually put the work in. But then there were a couple of people that I'm, or a couple of words that I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know. Right. And to your point, I just, I, even in a regular season, it's sometimes difficult when you're talking about Western Conference people with that I just I don't think it's fair necessarily to you, you sort of have to go on what people say or you're watching clips and it's just you know if you see a person once a year it's unfair to to really use that as their you know the the one thing that that you're going on and then in this year <laughs> to your point when I where I was sitting there and I I was so out of shape for researching so I'm trying to go back and watch games but I'm with my kids and my attention span has, has shrunk to virtually nothing. And so I'm sitting there and then I realized very quickly for me, at least that once I got into the rhythm of doing games, the season almost didn't matter. And that was such a relief to me because in the weeks leading up to it, I was so stressed about it um, that then I did and the first game I did actually was Islanders, Florida for NBC. And I, I did it with Gordon Miller and he was on site in Toronto and I, I was so relieved to think, okay, this is, it's like riding a bike and I'm reacting to the game on the ice and things sort of came back to me. And if, if it was not something that I remembered readily from the 2019, 2020 season, regular season, then it wasn't relevant. That's the way I looked at it. I'm not even sure fans cared about what happened in November of 2019. I mean, it's fine. I understand want to remember the 17 game unbeaten streak for sure. And that's an easy one to reference. But it does it really have any relevance on what's going on on the ice in August in Edmonton or Toronto? Maybe not, right? So I, I agree. The the research was was an interesting um, exercise. But I and I and I will say I think I tried to over research because I was so stressed that my brain had shrunk to the size of a walnut. And then once I got into the game, I was I sort of breathed a sigh of relief, like okay, this is hockey. I I luckily I still remember the, the game. <laughs> well. This has been great, and you certainly remember what happened with the Islanders, at least this offseason and this past season. So, uh, A.J. Maletsko, thank you so much. Um, 
We're very excited to have you here. Uh, Islander fans, No Sleep Till Belmont listeners, we may hear more from AJ as the season goes on. We might have an announcement coming in the next couple months. So uh, this is a great uh, first foray into our into our Islanders podcast. Thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for having me. What's fun, and I'm excited to get the season going. <laughs> yes, definitely. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Hopefully we will catch up with you soon with some news on the season to come and some news on our podcast. Take care.